This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He's happy. He saw Hughes boys playing together last night as the New Jersey Devils took care of the Buffalo Sabres and eliminated them. He is noted New Jerseyan Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Hello, Wish. Notable New Jerseyan. I mean, it's like me, mm-hmm. Danny DeVito, Kevin Smith, Thomas Edison, I guess, probably in that order. Um, who, you know, <laughs> the who, thing about the, last hang night. On, hang on. Who's the, who's, what? The, who's, who's the most famous New Jersey Devils fan? Oh, it's probably uh, Kevin Smith. I think Shaquille O'Neal, canonically, is also a Devils fan. For a while, it was former Saturday Night Live cast member Joe Piscopo, which was awkward. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a few. You know, it's funny. I, one of my favorite things in, in, uh, in life is to look at uh, hockey references in popular culture. And, and obviously, everybody yes, knows same. The, Sopranos. the Sopranos took place in New Jersey. Um, and they were a North Jersey family. So I always assumed that they were Rangers fans. But... AJ Soprano had a devil's uh, garbage can in his uh, in his bedroom. So Tony no. Soprano uh, taking the clan to the you, Meadowlands. You, you know, we used to talk. We talked about. I believe we talked about this uh, before on the old podcast. One of the weirdest. We used to talk about. You know, hockey is everywhere, and things where places where you find hockey. The weirdest place I ever found hockey, and it's still, I wish I had an explanation for it. Um, But I remember 2008 when I was working the summer games for CBC in Beijing. It's like the first or second night we were there. Um, Brenda Irving and Jim Van Horn took us out for dinner and a really nice place in downtown Beijing. And they had this massive wine cellar. And as I'm there, you know, eyeballing all these, you know, beautiful wines, out of nowhere, like there was like a, a number of flags all around the wine cellar, and out of nowhere, there was a picture of Steve Eiserman as a Detroit Red Wing. <laughs> like just like I, like I, it was, it was freaking weird. The weirdest thing that I ever saw. I'm like, what's the story here? I get this like I'm, I'm like all the way on the other side of the world at the summer games in like late July, early August. And there's a picture of Steve Eisman uh, over top of this, like ex- really super expensive uh, wine, wine cellar. Never got the story. Uh, have no idea why, but that was the weirdest place I ever found hockey. That was, Steve, that's my weird places to find hockey story. Eisman, Steve, Steve, Beijing. Steve Weinserman. Wein. Weinserman, yes. But the, out of uh, all places, Beijing. Like who's finding Out of Eiserman all places, Beijing. I did. Devils fans know the, the the single greatest reference to the team in pop culture history outside of, you know, Clerks, uh, which, you know, took place in Jersey, so it doesn't really count. Angelina Jolie mm-hmm. wore a Devils jersey quite inexplicably during some scenes of the classic uh, tech thriller Hackers, uh, in which a group of uh, young people in the future hack the planet, as it were, and a, a pixie-cut-haired huh. Angelina Jolie wore a bright red <laughs> doubles jersey. Now, you know, the other thing about last night, though, Merrick, besides the Hughes brothers playing together, yep. is that Jack Jack made history. Jack became yes, uh, the owner did. of the single-season franchise record for points in a season, surpassing Patrick Eliash, which gives me a chance to ask you something, which I've always been fascinated by. Do you believe Patrick Elias should be a Hall of Famer? Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I see. I have a hard. There are some players that I have a hard time being objective about because I love them. So mm-hmm. to me, 
Patrick Eliash is a Hall of Famer. I put Patrick Eliash in the Hall of Fame. I also, and we'll bring it to, to hockey right now, would put Joe Pavelski in the Hockey Hall of Fame who just, you know, got his thousandth point in the same night that, that Claude mm. Giroux did. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to ask for a detailed explanation of why, I mean, I have looked at it before and said, if this guy, then that guy, much like, you know, we did this with, I think most famously probably, Pavel Bure, who opened the door for Eric Lindros. Um, to me, there have been moments where I've looked at it and said, okay, this guy's in, that opens the door for someone like Patrick Iliash. I've, al- I've always felt that he should be a Hockey Hall of Famer. But then I catch myself. Is that just because Iliash was one of my favorite players? I don't know. How do you feel about it? It's a tough one because I also think that there's a certain amount of um, the, the Scott Niedermeyer caveat, which is that Iliash is playing his early prime years on a team whose modus operandi was not to score all that often. That's right. Um, yeah. And he popped 40 in 2000, 2001, and he popped 38 in 2003, 2004. So, so pre, pre lockout, pre NHL 2.0 rules. And those are, I mean, he 35, like he had some really, really productive years for a, a team that was not necessarily known for its offense. Um, he- you hang on. If if you have a career with a thousand points, mm-hmm. with the New Jersey Devils in what I like to refer yeah. to as the bungee cord years, which is there are bungee cords on the hockey pants, and if you got too deep in the offensive zone, Lou would snap you back to the neutral zone where you belonged. <laughs> like you get a thousand points in the bungee cord years for the New Jersey Devils. Like how? how like what, what? What is that in like I, I don't know like Edmonton Oilers or no? What is that in Pittsburgh Penguins points? What yeah. is 1,000 New Jersey points worth in Pittsburgh at the same time? I always, it's tough. Like, he obviously, you know, has, has cups, multiple. Um, and he obviously was, uh, as you said, a 1,000-point scorer, 1,025 points in his career. He doesn't have that extra bit of fame to him. Like, finalist for the Calder, highest he ever got was, um, I think it was around, like, sixth for the heart at some point. Um, so he's not, he's not really an awards darling and, you know, sometimes that can hold you back. But we've, we've demonstrated now you don't, you don't need the awards now. There have been plenty of players that have gotten in. They don't have the, the, the singular hardware. Like, I think we're, we're, we're well past that now. Like, again, I come back to Joe Pavelski. Joe Pavelski looks and feels, walks and skates to me like he should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And the fact that he's doing, he's, he's this productive, this late in his career to me just cements it. But again, when I put that out on, you know, of all places, you know, Twitter on social media, um, I get a lot of support from Dallas <laughs> and then elsewhere I get a lot of what are you smoking? The Elias one's always been tricky for me because I never really thought of him as a Hall of Famer. Like I always thought of him as like a really, really good player in my favorite team's franchise's history. So I never had a really kind of sense of what the outside thought of him. I guess it's the same thing as like a Pierre Turgeon, right? Like, like the people who had Pierre Turgeon on their team were always like, how is this guy not a Hall of Famer? Like he's one of the greatest offensive players I've ever seen from the outside. And, and, and you know, I guess it's the reverse because from the outside looking in, I never thought Pierre Turgeon was a Hall of Famer. But ask somebody who had him on their team and they have a completely different perception. Yep, and put up big numbers in a whole whole lot of places. Um, 
Let me ask you about, and we're maybe a day early on this, because we'll see what happens tonight between the Islanders and the Montreal Canadiens, and then what happens if tomorrow's game, Pittsburgh and Columbus, is of any consequence. So maybe I'm getting ahead of myself (laughs) here. But, you know, this is the first year since 2009 that Malkin's been able to play every game, and it looks like that's getting squandered. Um, This was not the plan when they re-signed all these players last year, Latang, Rust, Malkin, all of it. This was not the way it was supposed to go. But did last night's, again, maybe this will be more meaningful tomorrow, but did last night's loss against Chicago have a end-of-an-era vibe about it to you? Um... It it did, but but like you said, I mean, it's it's hard to really say that the era is, is ending when all those guys are signed through 2025, right? So no, but you and, know what I mean. Like place they, but, beyond that, but they they weren't able to do it. Like the one thing we could always count on with the Pittsburgh Penguins, specific more more specifically in the regular season, certainly. Um, although they have won cups, although you know the playoffs haven't exactly been their friend the last few seasons for various mainly net-minding reasons and injuries. Um, the one thing you could always say is, you know, Crosby's clutch. Malkin's clutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Latang's clutch. Man, nobody was clutch last night in the most important game of the year. Now you might look at it and say, oh, that's like the two-foot putt game. That's a layup. You got to have that one. That's going to be easy. After all, it's Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it against the Chicago Blackhawks. Right. No, and it was a shock. And and part of it was Mrazic, you know, in, in fairness to the Penguins. He was really outstanding good. last night. Um, end of an era is tough because, look, at all those guys are obviously on the downslope of their careers, and, and maybe it's hard to conjure the magic. But then I think about one year ago when if they were one Sidney Crosby injury and, and – a disastrous string of of uh, bad luck and goal away from eliminating the Rangers. That's only a year ago. Yeah. Like, and the year so, before that, it was same story against the Islanders with the net. Right. Mind. So, so last night sucked, and and I can't even put into words how disappointing it is to see a team with that kind of of core of talent squander the opportunity to have the the their fate in their hands against a team that is designed to be terrible. Um, I, I, it was really tough to watch. And and when they tied it at one, I was kind of covering both the Buffalo and the Boston games for ESPN at the same time. When they tied it at one, I'm like, all right, they're mm-hmm. fine. And then all of a sudden, they weren't. Same. <laughs> like all of a sudden, same. No. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, right? okay. And, and that's all right, the part here we go. Right. I'm, 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 not a, <laughs> I'm, not like, I'm not like a tape grinder, right? Like, I'm not somebody who goes back and, and you know, watches these games to, like, figure out what went wrong but I, I i might have to do it with that third period last night because it, it is kind of inexplicable that they they felt like they were back in it they righted the ship and then all of a sudden they got away from them but to answer your point like here here's what we know about the penguins uh this 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 off season um they're gonna have over 20 million dollars in cap space and the real question for me right now isn't necessarily is if if their run as a core group is done it's who will build around those guys this summer and beyond. Is it Ron Hextall or is it somebody else? Because I don't think it should mm-hmm. be Ron Hextall is, is my feeling on it. I, my feeling on it is that they should try to give someone else a crack at this because Ron had a chance to build around this core and it's resulted in a team that is 
on the precipice of missing the playoffs. I I get that, but what would let me let me let me let me throw a uh, let me throw one other slide ball uh, curveball at you here. Ooh, slide ball. What would another? What would I slide? It's a, it's a new pitch that I'm working on. Uh, it's supposed to be kept, <laughs> keep, like it's a, supposed to be kept secret, you, but now I've I've put it out there. You've heard you've heard ball. of knuckle curve combination of a slider uh, curveball. It's a slider <laughs> curveball. Slide ball. Sorry, man. I got Jay's fever. You saw what happened last night at Rogers Center. Man, things are looking great. Um, what would a different general manager have done differently, though? Like, I, I listen. Last night was probably the wrong night to do fan appreciation because by the end of it, they're chanting yeah. fire next ball. <laughs> Like, jeez, like, not good. <laughs> not good. I, 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 I got to tell you, coming back, Merrick, it's like, like Merrick, what would another, got, what would another got, GM do different? Yeah. I got a, I got a pause on fan appreciation. I, I was, I was on the couch okay. watching the end of that game <laughs> and, and I was, I was there with my wife, Ruby and fan appreciation night started uh, and we just kept watching and watching. It was, it was the cringiest thing I've ever seen. Uh, all of these wonderful people from Pittsburgh, like ninety-five percent of the Warren Crosby jerseys, all walking up and getting their pictures taken with the likes of Tristan Jari and Jeff Carter. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, there's somebody yeah. in this line who pulled the ticket to get their jersey <laughs> signed by Sidney Crosby, and there's somebody else in this line who just watched this debacle yeah. for 81 games. That's gonna have to stand up there and shake the hand of Jeff Carter. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I, it's listen. It's a gamble. Like it's a like it's a gamble. I was thinking about this. Other day. It is such a gamble right now, more so than ever, as a fan buying it. Like you look at the okay, you get the uh, you get the schedule and you say, okay, I'm going to be selective here about you know how many tickets I I can afford, how many games I can actually show up to, how many games I can make, what can I fit in my budget, and it's got to be awful tricky when you look at those games in the last week because one, they could be incredible. Like they, that could be like such an action pack, ma- you know, major ramifications, all of it, or they can be absolute duds where you're seeing the e-bug and everybody's, you know, healthy scratched and blah, 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 blah. Or you get a night like that. So, and putting fan appreciation there is a tough one. It's a tough one. Now, listen, I, 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 I'm, I don't think that Ron Hextall deserves all of the blame. But hang on, but hang on, let me pause that. The fact that fan appreciation yeah. was on that <laughs> night specifically, uh-huh. I mean, that really reinforces that this is not the way the season was supposed to go. No. <laughs> this was not supposed not to be a season where they clawed their tried to claw their way in in the final week of the uh, regular season wish. No, this that 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 was a night Phil, that where where you have a bunch of people in the building and you thank them for also buying playoff tickets. That's what they're there for. Yes. Uh, but alas, none of that's going to yes. happen. Now, it's not his fault, Hextall, that he had to bring the core back. I mean, that that was his job, and he did it, and he did it for the contracts in which he gave out. They're you know they're they're not debilitating contracts to the best of the cap, but but it's that's the first order of business that he had to do. Um, he had like a thousand people in camp to figure out the supporting cast. And in some cases, maybe they chose poorly. And some of that might be also be on Mike Sullivan. Um, I think the question isn't like what he did wrong to get them to this point, because there are some things unforeseen. For example, Jeff Carter falling apart as an NHL player within the last like seven months. 
But the question can is, we pause is, on that for one sec? Task, can, should can, be, can we pause on Jeff Carter? Forward. Yeah. Can we, can we pause on Jeff Carter for one second? Is the, the, the one point that I always do want to um, pick up about Jeff Carter is Carter, and I know how the season has gone for him. I get that. But he was signed well before Malkin. I always looked at the Carter signing and said, that's Malkin insurance. In case Malkin actually does go somewhere else, they need right. help in the middle. That's right. how I looked at that the that Jeff Carter sign. So I never like we have to I think we have to keep in mind who got signed when and Carter was signed well before Malkin did his deal. Anyway, just want to make sure on the same and, page and, with it, that. And he was signed on a season in which he had 45 points in 76 games. He was, you know, 37 years old. I mean, there are there are reasons why maybe you don't ink him for another 2 years. And I remember at the time of the signing, there were some Penguins fans that were worried about it. But by no means is, is Jeff Carter the reason why this is happening. He's one of the reasons. So it sounds like, if I'm able to glean what you're saying, Merrick, is that you think that although you have the echoing chance in the Steel City of fire this man, that Ronnie Hextall should get another crack at this mm-hmm. this summer. I just don't know what another general manager would have done, given the realities of here's Crosby saying, I, I want to keep going for this. And again, like this is this is still a Pittsburgh Penguin. This is still new. I, I get it. Like this is new ownership. This is Fenway Sports, and we'll see if things like if all the Islanders have to do is get a point tonight against the Montreal Canadiens, and it's official. The Pittsburgh Penguins are out. Their tragic number is one. This isn't like when Mario Lemieux ran the owned the team, right? Where right. I don't care what happens. Malkin's retiring a Penguin. Latang is retiring a Penguin, and Crosby is retiring a Penguin. And Crosby wants to go for it. Damn it, we're going for it. This is a different Pittsburgh Penguins now with, uh, with Fenway Sports. So I just, and given the realities of Crosby wants to go for it, we're still going for it. We still have Sidney Crosby. We still have that, you know, that elite equity in this marvelous hockey player. We're going to go for it. The one thing that I, and I've been thinking a lot about Hextall recently, because I think we're all wondering where this thing is heading. But, and I know, like, I get it. You take the job and you know what the score is and, you know, you know what, you know, what is expected of you as a manager when you, uh, when you accept the position. But do you not get the sense that whether it was with the Philadelphia Flyers and now with the Pittsburgh Penguins, all Ron Hextall wants to do is a rebuild? Like, mm-hmm. he wanted to take his time with the Flyers, Right. Mm-hmm. And they went along with it, Paul Holmgren and everybody, for about a cozy five minutes. And then they said, <laughs> All right, enough of this crap. Let's get Carter Hart in here. <laughs> right. And I was like, and and next all I was like, oh geez, like this is not what I wanted to do here with this team. And I can't help but thinking. And again, he accepts the job, he gets it. We all everyone's grown ups here. I really do get the sense still that that is what ultimately as a general manager he wants to be able to do. Now, you don't do that if you take a job with the Pittsburgh Penguins because Crosby's still there and, you know, they have your Malkin situation and ditto for Chris Letang. But do you not get the sense that what Ron Hextall is dying to do here is a rebuild? Like, he just wants to be able to build a team, not inherit a bunch of future Hall of Famers and try to string it out for a couple of seasons. To try yeah, to he do that to be the Black. He wants to be the Blackhawks. He, he wants to be someone who takes over yeah. a prestige franchise. Yes. And then, and then has the ability to, you know, stay or, or, or hit on, on the star players that, players that are on the roster. That's what he wants. He's never going to get in Pittsburgh, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you, I mean, I, I, as, as shocked as we are by, by Kane and Taves and Duncan Keith and the end of their tenures with the Blackhawks, I mean, I can't even envision a world in which Sidney Crosby isn't playing for the Penguins. Can you? 
I can't. Right, there's, okay, there's one. But there's one there's, place but, in the but, multiverse. But, 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 there's what? There's one place Montreal. in the multiverse where you Montreal. can. It's, it, no, no, uh, Colorado. Oh, with Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. You you watch you watch you watch you watch too many you watch too many Tim Hortons commercials. <laughs> That's your problem, Wachitsky. You watch too many Tim Hortons commercials. Look, guys like fun at the drive-through at Tim Hortons and opening hockey cards. Look, they want to play together. Merrick, don't you think that Sidney Crosby <laughs> would love to be the second line center behind Nathan McKinnon in Denver? Uh, no, I think he'd like to be the first line center and have Nathan McKinnon play <laughs> second slot behind him. <laughs> I, the, the, the one team that, that I've that I've always wondered about, too, again, like, why not? It's Wednesday afternoon, get ahead of ourselves here. I, I have wondered about Montreal with him, but Colorado makes sense. No secret that him and I just don't know how you fit that salary into your, uh, into your salary cap configuration, considering, you know, how Nathan McKinnon's going to ring the bell here and how Bo Byram is going to eventually ring the bell here too. But don't you think Sid wants to retire a penguin? Like, unless it becomes an untenable yes, situation. I do. I have, yeah. I, yeah. I have a, I have a really hard time believing that he, that he, that he would go anywhere else. Although, you know, Sports wisdom says, you know, stop thinking like that, dummy. Everybody goes somewhere else. There are very, you know, few if, Isermans here. So if the Islanders clinch tonight, this is the first yes. time since 2005, 2006, that neither Alex Ovechkin nor Sidney Crosby will be in the playoffs. Think about that for a second. Now that's. Now, Ovechkin still is relevant because of the Gretzky chase, and Crosby's just continues to build his, you know, Hall of Fame portfolio here. But when you talk about end of an era, like the rise, you know, we've talked about this before, the rise of the NHL coming out of the 0405 lockout was Crosby versus Ovechkin. Mm-hmm. How many promos did you see? I mean, listen, the, uh, when the book is written on this era of hockey, there's going to be a huge chapter on the HBO 24-7 Road to the Winter Classic. <laughs> yeah, baby. You know and there is. Those two, outside of, you know, Bruce Boudreau, obviously, was, was, the, was the main fuel for that jet engine. Absolutely. And now here we are, and there might be both out of the playoffs. They're, We're talking about end of an era in that game against the Hawks last night. That might be the, the, the symbolic end of an era. There's five things that saved the NHL after the, the canceled season. The new rules. Oh, the new the logo. Outdoor games. Oh, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the new rules, the outdoor games. Yep. Uh, uh, yep. Let's see here. Uh, the rise of the, the, the Blackhawks and the Bruins and the Flyers back to prominence. You can throw Pittsburgh in there, too. Um, Sid and Ovi, and uh, it's probably one more. I'm this. Oh, the salary cap forcing parity was probably the fifth thing. But Sid and Ovi are right there. Like it might, they might be like third um, on the list. The salary cap driving franchise values, which continues to this day, where we're looking at expansion fees of a billion dollars. I think yeah, the, okay. I think I, I, the, the parity I, I, thing is one element to it, but the but the 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 the, the controlling cost to drive franchise values through the roof, and the coming to kneel of the players' association as well. Sure. 
That's the big. No, I I I, I, I said saves, and and in that context, you're right because like the franchise value spiked once they controlled costs. That's that's a fair point. My point was that what what helped to reengage fans was the forced parody of of the salary cap era and and the forced parody of the shootout, which also helped uh, everybody you know hang around the bubble until it burst every season. Mm-hmm. So, but you're right. I mean, essentially, like the NHL's goose is cooked if they. Are, are you know the franchise values were what they were and if, if people didn't want to buy into the league yeah now it's they're they're in this spot where they have they have more buyers than than teams that are available like wish we're talking about salt lake city now <laughs> like all of a sudden yeah. salt lake city's entered the chat <laughs> you know yeah like, <laughs> and ch- and chunks of teams oh, are, I, I mean look that. look what look what the the, the predators uh valuation is as far as uh what their new majority owner is going to pay to be part of that 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 group? I mean, it's 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 incredible how Bill, much Bill Haslam, yeah. really is. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of this too. I mean, I think, I think a lot of um, potential owners are looking around right now and saying Ottawa's going for how much? Yeah. And I think team. I, I think um, I, I think uh, current ownership groups are looking at it and saying, "Hang on, sports is an equity play here." I know that we're part of this exclusive club, but. Are you really meaning to tell me that I could, might be able to get a billion dollars for my franchise? Mm-hmm. Like Ottawa's going to go for like nine hundred million bucks here. Like I think might I think maybe like as much as maybe four hundred million is going to be debt, but still like they're going to go for like close to a billion dollars. And I would have to imagine that because of that, that probably shakes free a couple of other teams that might have the for sale sign, you know, out on the front lawn when you start to see goofy numbers like that. And. And Merrick, think about how many people out there that own uh, board ape NFTs that would be ready to flip those to buy an NHL team. Like, there's tons. <laughs> um, so tonight's a big one: Montreal and the Islanders. Uh, I haven't talked about the Western Conference uh, a whole lot here, but um, the most recent team uh, eliminated. You mentioned the Nashville Predators, and I think they even they were surprised um, that they they hung around so long. The Calgary Flames. And that that's been a big one, as you can imagine, on a on a Canadian outfit that you're on right now that that runs coast to coast. Um, your thoughts on what happens with the Flames here? I mean, job number one is what's happening with Brad Tre Living. Um, right. There is a belief that he is still very much wanted by uh, ownership. Uh, I don't know how far they've gotten on contract negotiations or if Tre Living wants to stay. I don't know, um, but. How do you look at the Calgary Flames this year, knowing full well that, again, three-on-three and shootout, Rasmus Anderson talked about this after the game, you know, that's what pretty much cooked them, but you can make the argument that, you know, if you cut those in half and they might just get cut in half because they're a coin flip, according to many, that's your issue. I kind of look at Calgary and say their problem is goaltending. After that, things will Mm -hmm. sort itself out. But right. how do you look at the Calgary Flames? And the, and the sorting might begin tonight with Dustin Wolf playing. Like it's it's there's there I is a solution it. there. I love it. And it's uh, it, it well it, it, like why has why is this his first game? Like like when when your problem this whole season has been the inconsistency of goaltending. Is it because you're paying Jacob Markstrom six million dollars that you can't make an aggressive move to to? to fix the problem on the team. I mean, it's it's one of those things that's going to be really interesting to see how it comes out in the autopsy. But the way you lay it out is is an interesting thing. Because I've, I've long thought, okay, uh, 
Bradshaw Living's been there for a while. He doesn't have a contract. He he did all he could to try to plug the holes in a, in a sinking ship last summer after the Gadroka Chuck thing. But you look at this roster, and unless they want to carve it up, which I don't know if they do based on the, the exact thing you said, which is that a lot of the, the, the feats they had this season were coin flips, then you might as well just bring him back to see if he can continue the job he started last offseason, which is to kind of remake this team a little bit after having, as I've no- noted, it's like it's like a solar system that lost its sun when you lose Goudreau and Kachuk. Like, the planets are all flying which away, <laughs> and you're just hoping to get him back into orbit. And so the idea of him coming back and being the guy to try to fix it when the team has been successful, I think there's an argument to be made because otherwise you're probably looking at a change in course. Unless, unless Merrick, you're just going to promote somebody internally and do the old uh, Washington Capitals, Brian McClellan, George McPhee, do-si-do, and, and keep, keep on course but with a different captain. Mm-hmm. Um, see, I'm of the mind. Again, I think a lot of this depends on, on Brad Treliving. I think, well, first of all, there seems to be this thing um, uh, uh, amongst hockey fans. This is true of all sports fans. You're either winning the championship or you're rebuilding. There's no like middle ground where like, well, okay, you know what? We're close and we're ready to take that that next step. And sometimes there's a step back like the Calgary Flames have taken. But again, like once you pour through like what actually happened this season and where the issues are and what needs to change, I just can't get over the fact that if they had, and again, like I'm not saying like, Vesna runner-up Jacob Markstrom, but a better Jacob Markstrom than we saw. And I don't know, like, what happened. Like, something happened to Jacob Markstrom in that Edmonton series, but he has not been yeah. the same since. He got broken. Sometimes we see, like, series like, well, that's just it, right? Like, I just wonder, like, how damaged did Jacob Markstrom become after that Edmonton Oilers year? Like, that was... Edmonton has always been Markstrom's kryptonite, and there it was on on full display. He just hasn't been the same goalie. But as as unpopular as this may be in Calgary, if I'm the Flames, I'm running it back with pretty much. Again, there's always going to be changes, but I'm running. I'm thinking about running this thing back with pretty much the same team, and you just try to do something with the goaltending here, and we'll see what happens with Dustin Wolf tonight. You you see, but that's that's ignoring the elephant in the room, which is that. They had 82 goals walk out the door with Goudreau and Kachuk. Like, this whole team is built in service of two-star players that are no longer there. That's the biggest problem. Like, due respect to Huberdo, due respect to Kadri. Like, I think those guys are great. They- but they're not Goudreau and they're not Kachuk. And, and you look at this roster, and it is, it is a bunch of really, really, really good supporting characters, in my opinion, in search of two main, main mm-hmm. leads. And, and until you find a way to get those back... Or find one of them. Yeah, I just don't know how good this team can be. Well, let's not let's not lose sight of one thing as well. Um, the Calgary Flames, inside of a few seasons here, have lost one actual captain of the team and another player who we all thought was going to be the future captain of the team. Like they lost Mark Giordano and Matthew Kachuk. Bang mm-hmm. bang. And with Matthew Kachuk, you mentioned Johnny Gaudreau as well. I don't know many teams who could withstand losing two-thirds of not just the best line on their team, but the best line in the NHL. And not expect to take some type of step back. Despite the fact that you bring in Kadri, despite the fact that you bring in Huberto, I don't know how many teams can absorb that. They can't. And that's why you look at all these these overtime losses— and you you could say okay, or these and also one goal game losses, and you say, well, if only half of those turned around, well, 
there's a reason why they all happened. Which is that you had 82 goals walk out the door. You got anybody to score those goals anymore. So you have to find a way to remedy that. And that's the real challenge, isn't it? Because finding those guys, as, as, as was shown by what Florida had to give up for Kachuk and what Columbus had to pay Goudreau, is not easy. Um, but mm-hmm. you, you look at the, the fate of the Calgary Flames this season, and it's directly tied to the fact that you know they had their heart ripped out of them, both spiritually and offensively. Uh, before I let you go, what is, um, what's your biggest story right now? Like, I know we spent a lot of time and parked a lot of it because I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated with the Penguins, but, uh, what's your biggest story going on right now? I know it's you know, New Jersey with the Hughes and Jack, you know, breaks Patrick Eliash's heart. I get it. Uh, but what's your big story to wrap up here? Okay. Will the Bruins win? That's it. That's, that's the, that's the whole story for the Stanley Cup playoffs this season is will the Bruins win? Because, uh, typically... Yeah. Teams in their position do not win. <laughs> we have had uh, 36 President's Trophy winners. Only 11 of them advanced to the so... final. Only eight of them hoisted the cup. So will yes. they win? So um, playoffs make heroes. Playoffs make legends. The Boston Bruins face the New York Islanders in the opening round. Or shall I say... The Boston Bruins face Ilya Sorokin mm-hmm. in the opening round. Is it closer than we think, or are the Bruins still dominant? Because I Bruins look at the Islanders dominant. and I say, that's a team. Right. You still think they're dominant against the Islanders? You, you, you and I have talked about this, and you and I have probably heard this from different people, but essentially it's the same thing, which is that the Islanders are not a team built to win in the regular season, but they're built to win in the postseason. No. And, and I, I buy that yes. to a point. Um, is Barzell coming back for this party? Is he invited? Did he get the invite oh, in the mail? Hi, 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 yeah, good luck getting information out of Fort Knox <laughs> at UBS Arena. Good luck getting back, a whisper. If he's back, then, then you've got a little bit of something. If he's not, then you don't. I Listen, I think the Bruins win that series. But again, yeah. you look at the path, Merrick. Even if they win that series, whoever comes out of that Lightning Leaf series is either going to have the validation that a fourth trip to the Stanley Cup final could very well be in the cards or is going to have a Mm. Category 5 hurricane amount of wind in their sails because they finally won a playoff series since the first time since the George W. Bush administration. Now you've got belief. Now you've got O'Reilly. Oh, by the way, he knows how to beat the Bruins. Like, whoever comes out of that series is going to be maybe... Maybe the Bruins' toughest test of the playoffs. Whoever that is, I think if the Bruins rip through the Islanders, the Bruins continue to play like they are, if one of those teams can sweep. Because we always talk about this. If you're going to be successful somewhere along the way, you need a sweep because you need Mm -hmm. that rest. And you need that mm-hmm. that chance to recover. And games are the playoffs, or let's face it, dangerous. And there's usually a body count attached to them. We are out of time. Um, got a punt as always. Thank you, Mr. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Uh, plug anything you got going right now. Read my story on the Islanders and Canadians after the game, man. I'm gonna be there. It's gonna be a, a real, either horrible night or fantastic night for our friends <laughs> on the island. <laughs> we will all be tuned in. Thanks, Wish. You'll be good. Talking seven. Anytime. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.